unveiling the secrets A-list copywriters use to make themselves and their clients millions. This is the Copywriters Podcast with your host, the world's greatest copywriting coach, David Garfinkel. All right, welcome back to the Copywriters Podcast with your host, the world's greatest copywriting coach, David Garfinkel. David, how are you doing today? Nathan, I'm good. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. And for the video only podcast viewers, I see that you're wearing a new pinky in the brain hat. Yes, it's my early spring pinky in the brain hat. Um, I know it will be early spring by the time this airs, but here in San Francisco, it's like 60 degrees early in the morning and it'll probably go up to 70. So that's right. Nice. All right. I love it. And I also love without giving anything away, I love what you sent me in the show notes for today's episode. So I'm going to hand it over to you. All right, let's get started. Thanks. Um, We have another old masters episode today. We're going to talk about Robert Collier. And most people know of him as the author of the Robert Collier letter book, uh, which we're going to talk about in this show. But it's important to know that besides being one of the best copywriters, and some people say the best copywriter of the first half of the 20th, 20th century, last century, Collier was also a prolific and successful author. One of his other books, for example, sold 300,000 copies. So we're going to take some powerful ideas from just a couple of pages. That'll give you an idea of the depth of richness of this book from two pages of the Robert Collier letter book. It's such a rich resource. And my pal, John Carlton, who we've had three times on this podcast, said that the Robert Collier letter book was one of the three books he referred to all the time when he was just starting out as a copywriter. I do have one eternal truth that I'd like to share with you immediately that I can't guarantee you'll find in any book. Copy is powerful. You're responsible for how you use what you hear on this podcast. Most of the time, common sense is all you need. But if you make extreme claims and or if you're writing copy for offers in highly regulated industries like health and finance and business opportunity, you may want to get a legal review after you write and before you start using your copy. My larger clients do this all the time. So on to Robert Collier. We're going to talk about seven things today. One one thing from one page of one chapter and six things from one page of another chapter. And just, you know, I could do two hours or even two days on these seven topics. They're so good, but we'll manage to shoehorn them into the podcast. Uh, Without further ado, And I also want to say, people say, you know, Robert Collier, 1930s, 1920s, 19, that's old stuff. No, this stuff is universal. Uh, It it works absolutely today. I'm going to update a few things that might be a little different today, but the, the fundamental ideas are the same and they're really good. So let's jump in. The first one is word pictures. See. You've got a headline, gets your reader's attention. Um, After you get your reader's attention, and I'm going to quote here, your next problem is to put your ideas across 
to make him see it as you see it. In short, to visualize it so clearly that he can build it piece by piece in his own mind as a child builds a house of blocks or puts together the pieces of a puzzle. Now, I'm thinking a lot of people are saying, yeah, right, yeah, sure. But I want to give you an actual demonstration of the difference between the normal benefit description of a product and a word picture. So I invented a new product just for this example. Um, it is a push-button meat grinder. Now, uh, students of, I mean, really in-depth students of Gene Schwartz know that he talked about a man with a push-button memory, but I've never heard of a push-button meat grinder before. Have you? No. Okay. So um, it sounds dangerous, though. Oh, no, it's it's very safe. It it um, as long as you keep your finger out of the grinder. So uh, here's your typical product description of this this um, new meat grinder. Let's say the product is a sparkling new meat grinder. It creates fresh, juicy ground beef with a touch of a button. Then it's self cleaning. Put some water and detergent in and automatically cleans and dries itself. Okay, if you happen to like that kind of thing, that could be interesting. But compare it to this. The Insta-Ready Meat Grinder is so easy to use. When you're having friends over for a barbecue, everything's ready except the hamburgers. You don't even have any ground beef. No problem with the Insta-Ready. Simply plug it in and slice up some premium chuck, fresh from the butcher. Now, open the top of the InstaReady and put the sliced raw meat into the compartment. Close the lid and push the red grind button. In less than two minutes, you have enough juicy, glistening ground beef to make 12 delicious burgers. All you need to do is make them into patties and put them on the grill. Cleaning the InstaReady is a breeze, too. Just put two glasses of water into the cleaning compartment. In the detergent department, slip in a small, tidy cleaning pod and press the green clean button. In 10 minutes, every part of the InstaReady will be as clean as a whistle and dry as a bone. Just take the dishwater container over to the sink and spill it out. And you're ready to go. The next minute, you need some more meat. Need to grind some more meat. So... Did you notice any difference, Nathan? Yeah, the second one had a lot of visual cues. It had it had me thinking about the patties. It had me thinking about the fresh meat. It had me thinking about a picnic. So there was a lot of um, there was a lot of visualization that was going on. And did that affect you at all? I mean, you were thinking about these things. Did you have any feelings? Did you say, "Hey, I like that," or I "Enjoy picnics," or the, yes, it did have the effect of tying your product to things that I enjoy. It also, something that's weird, but I know to be true, is Apple, the Apple store, mm -hmm. they allow you to pick up and play with their products. And they say that they noticed that when things were behind a display and you could just look at them, people didn't buy as often as when people could pick them up and play with them. And they said that by picking them up and holding them in their hand, 
it made it real. It gave them a sense of ownership and it was harder for them to part with it. And the way that you described the picnic, the way that you described watching the machine work, it kind of did that. It kind of had the effect of visually or mentally allowing me to pick it up and play with it in my head. And it made it harder for me to give it up when it came time to decide whether I'm going to buy it or not. Okay. Thank you. That was the response I was, um, I, I didn't send you extra money for this or, or give you a script. That, that was the response I was hoping for. Thank you. Now, let me explain why it works. Um, it works because we think in pictures and, you know, as far as the Apple thing, we're seeing lots of pictures and it's a moving picture and we're touching it, it brings in the physical sense too. So when your prospects put themselves in that picture, and that's what you were just describing yourself doing, Nathan, um, you've already got them leaning towards buying the product. Now, there are a couple ways you can use pictures. You can use a positive picture to move prospects toward a situation that's more desirable than the one they're in now. Or you can use a negative picture to move them away from the situation they want to escape or stay away from. And here's a tip. Don't use examples or phrases that require your prospect to work hard to understand them or that they have to translate. Use familiar images that are easy to understand and visualize. Okay, that's word pictures, a whole chapter on that. Um, we just covered, I think, the key points. Let's look at another chapter, and there are many. I don't know how many there are, but there are a lot more than two. This one is six essential elements of a sales letter or of a VSL, a sales page, or an ad. And this is a second group of ideas I'm taking from the Robert Collier letter book. Any one of these could use word pictures. So the first element that he talks about is the opening. Not only do you need capture attention to capture attention, you need to speak to what the reader is interested in using language that the reader instantly recognizes. Also, keep in mind the opening sets the table for what comes next. Now, remember, it is important. A lot of people seem to slip here. The opening is not about you. It's not about your product, not about your company, not about the awards you've won, not about your opinions of your competitors. It's about what the prospect is currently interested in, a problem they have, a desire they have, something top of mind, a worry they have, something for your prospects that you can help them with. Um, here are a few points about your opening. You can't bore people into buying. I think David Ogilvy originally said that. You need to capture their imaginations as well as their attention. Another point, in order to write good openings, you need to know your prospects. We've talked about this many times, but it's important to bring it up again. You need to know your prospects so you can write the opening starting from a place of what's on their minds and what's important to them. Okay, so let's go to the second essential element. Uh, Actually, can I jump in real quick? Of course. Um, one thing that I run into all the time with clients is when I look at their current sales pages, the very first thing that I'm smacked with is their branding. They want to have their logo and their business name in big, bold letters that takes up like the top third of the, of the first. Uh, top half of their of their web page, and I think that if you're a big brand like Nike or McDonald's, you can get away with that. But what you were talking about, you need to capture where they're at 
rather than you you know talking about yourself what i've noticed especially through running comparisons one of the easiest ways to get people actually engaged with your sales page is just get rid of all the big boisterous branding at the top of your sales page get rid of your logo get rid of your uh, company name and just jump into the sales message and we've seen bounce back rates on pages like that after that just that one simple tweak we've seen bounce back rages or bounce back rates drop by two thirds three fourths almost like seventy percent sometimes yeah that's a that's a really good point and you know some people are so emotionally they're in an emotional stranglehold with their brand that one thing I I got from Blake Ted Nicholas that I think is a really good idea for a physical page for a sales letter that would also work on a web page is take your logo and put it at the bottom. Let people see it after you've told them the story. Because trying to get people familiar with your brand through impressions from Facebook ad, or Google ad, CPA, Tabula, Boy, that's that's very expensive PR, but it doesn't do much for your bottom line. Okay, so second of six essentials is the motive or reason why. And Collier talks about this as the reason why the prospect would want to buy your offer. I agree with that. So use your benefit statements. Um as a reason for them to say yes. And this is also a great place to use a word picture story. There's another kind of reason why besides the reason why a prospect should buy. And that's the reason why you are making the offer. This is also important and necessary, especially when you are offering what might seem like an unreasonably low price or good deal. You need to state a reason that makes sense to your prospect so they're not suspicious. In short, what's your motivation? Why are you making this offer? What's your reason for offering a discount or offering something at a price lower than the value of the offer? I want to give an example of something I used personally in a video I posted on Facebook about, of all things, the Copywriters Podcast. And this is my reason why, the reason why I'm doing it. So this is actually from the script the video script i started the potty i started the copywriters podcast because i was fortunate enough to learn copywriting when i really needed it and it changed the course of my life i wanted to offer information to other people who are today where i was 30 years ago since i started the podcast i've expanded it so it will also help more advanced copywriters and business owners too and I find fascinating guests who have unusual information that most people will never get any other way. More than a few people have told me I should charge good money for the podcast. Other people tell me the information is worth more than information they've paid a lot of money for. I hear that, but this is something I want to offer for free. The fees for my services are good enough, so I don't need to charge for every single thing that I do. I'd like to be able to help people who can't afford to work with me, or maybe don't learn best by hiring coaches in the first place. But many of my paying clients listen to the podcast too, because there's always new information for them that they can't get anywhere else. That's my reason why. 
the counterintuitive aspect to this is a lot of copy is about overcoming objections. And if they see a price that looks too good to be true, they're going to say, well, then there must be something wrong with it. If someone says, man, I've been listening to this podcast and it's better than courses I've paid thousands of dollars for. And then they say, well, how much did you have to pay to get access to the podcast? And they say, it's free. Oh, well, it's free. There must be something wrong with it. This guy must not know what he's talking about. So there's an objection that gets raised when a price is too low or free. And if you're not addressing that objection, it's just like ignoring any other objection that they might have. So you give them a reason. Oh, the warehouse is overstocked or we're going out of business or the boss is on vacation. Uh, Give them something to overcome that objection, just like you would any other objection. Otherwise, it's going to be nagging at the back of their mind. You're right. And that's a great point. Because when you're doing something, offering something for free or offering a great price, in your head, you're thinking, man, how could anyone turn this down? It's such a great deal. Uh, It never occurs to you until you've been around the block a few times. People are going to be just as suspicious of that as of everything else. People are suspicious, just the way of the world. Do you have a problem with Kindle books? I do. Sometimes I really just want to hold a book in my hand so I can turn the pages and highlight stuff and make notes. That's one reason I recently released the print version of my book, Breakthrough Copywriting. And listen to this. On Facebook, I've gotten pictures posted from around the world. Pictures of people holding their printed copy of Breakthrough Copywriting in their hands including one from an A-list screenwriter and marketer in L.A.'s famous Topanga Canyon. He was reading the book in his hot tub. Breakthrough Copywriting is a great book for you, whether you are a beginner or an A-lister yourself or anywhere in between. It costs a tiny, tiny fraction of my $5,000 a head seminar that the book is based on. So check out Breakthrough Copywriting on Amazon.com. Now, back to the show. Okay, so let's go to the third essential element, and it's the description or the explanation. When describing what you're offering, Collier suggests that you start with the big picture, overall benefit, and then fill in the fine details, benefits, fine points, what sets this product apart later. Do that later. Talk about why it's better later. Talk just, just sort of describe it in broad brush strokes first. Now, to be fair, these days you'll often find that description, especially the lots of detail part, comes later in the message than it sounds like from this list of six things, even if the broad strokes still come earlier on. And to be fair to Collier, in his book, he readily admits that this formula, or quote-unquote formula, is more of a starting point than a rigid structure. Things do get rearranged, and ultimately, as he says, it is getting the feel of your message that counts. But until you are clear in what you're offering in the specific way or ways, it will be appealing to prospects, the ones that you're targeting. Until you get to that point, your chance of making a sale are slim to none. Because without a clear description for your prospects to rely on, you're asking your prospects to make a decision based on two unspoken words. Trust me. And that's usually not a very high converting sales proposition. Mm. This is something that I run into with clients all the time, a very confusing offer 
And when I, I sit down and I talk with them and I ask them to explain to me, they, a lot of times they can't even explain their offer and they may have been selling it for 15 years and they still have trouble explaining their offer. And when we can get clear on that, on that offer, uh, response rates always increase. Yeah, it's, it's one of the most undervalued thing in business, clarity. But clarity means money uh, when you're using it to describe an offer. So thanks for that. That's good. Okay, essential element number four is the proof or the guarantee. Now, in the book, Collier presents this as one or the other. And actually, and especially these days, you need both. You need convincing proof of your claims throughout your message and the strongest guarantee you can offer. Um, It's true that they both serve the same purpose, but I think, and many others think, and you see all the time, you need proof early and often and not just in one place. Okay, so what kind of proof? Well, besides testimonials and case studies and factual proof, which is maybe what most people think of, sometimes emotional proof is stronger than logical proof. And emotional proof doesn't need to be a hero's journey story in six parts with an inner journey and an outer journey and a helper and an antagonist. Sometimes it can be something as simple as a common phrase. Phrase like, as sure as the sun is going to come up in the east tomorrow and then say what you want to say. And I just realized a few days ago while talking to a client why Cliche phrases like that are so powerful and can be very convincing. And the reason is because this is what people who are not skilled persuaders are not copywriters or negotiators or salespeople or pitchmen or pitchwomen. It's what real people, normal people, regular people say when they really believe in something and they're trying to convince someone of something else. So consider that as a possibility too. Okay. Thoughts or comments? All right, then let's move on to number five, the snapper or the penalty. What happens if the prospect doesn't take action? You need to tell them. We see this in a lot of different forms these days. And whichever one you use, the important thing is don't leave it to the prospect to figure it out on their own. Spell it out for them. Why do you need to tell them? Because Given the option, and this is important for people who are new to copywriting or uh, afraid of being too pushy, given the option, most people will do nothing. And you can change that with pressure, with mentioning consequences, or with showing contrasts between the results of doing something and doing nothing. Um, John Carlton, who we talked about earlier and who we've had on three times, came up with the phrase somnambulant blob to describe prospects in their inert, unresponding mode. He told me that Dan Kennedy changed it to somnambulant sloth, which admittedly has better alliteration, and Kennedy gave him credit for it while he used it in speeches and seminars. Uh, It's a memorable phrase. It's worth remembering, too. So some things to keep in mind when you're going to include this part in your copy are fear of missing out, the takeaway close, and the crossroads close, which I believe John Benson came up with and has been used a lot 
in VSLs. You know the crossroads goes, well, you're at a crossroads now. Either you can listen to the rest of the copywriters podcast or you won't. Of course, if you don't listen, you'll never know what the sixth element was. And, you know, it could be like um, stepping on a crack on a sidewalk. It could just mean bad luck for your next promotion. Or you could keep listening and everything's going to come out great in your life. In fact, even better than you expected. That's, um, I guess, I should have started that by saying, well, you're at a crossroads. You can do two things right now. Which road are you going to take and, and go into that? long and guilt-inducing pitch yes i know which road i'm gonna take i want to know what the sixth point was oh that's a perfect setup thank you nathan okay number six is the close which tells the reader now listen to these words carefully because it sounds stupid and simple and dumb and it's actually really important the close tells the reader what to do how to do it and it makes it easy easy button easy for him to act at once. This is one place where you definitely do not want to get lazy or skimp. Every time the reader isn't 100% sure what to do or how to do it, or whether or not it's too hard to take action, you lose sales. So you really want to follow this one carefully. What to do means writing clear and simple instructions. It's one of the hardest things to do. And Actually, in, in the close, it may be the highest paying writing per word, except ransom notes. The second thing, which is how to do it, I, I want to tell you an old school story. One of my mentors, Mac Ross, told once is about a very designy, hip looking ad in a magazine, printed ad, where it was reverse type white letters on a black background. Besides using an enormous amount of ink, it led to a coupon which had all black with white letters and white lines. And there was no way in hell that a prospect could fill it out unless they had a pen that writes in white ink. How do you think that did for sales? So by actually testing out the how to do it, you can find those problems and hopefully fix them making it easy. It's easy to make an ordering process complicated. I'm sure you've seen this, Nathan. I'm sure you, the reader, have seen this or sadly done this yourself at one point. But let's look at the opposite. Amazon. Amazon Amazon.com. Amazon has gone to great lengths to make it super easy to order online. Like one click, boom. And it's, you'll have it in 24 hours if you have Amazon Prime. So Amazon's made it easy. Jeff Bezos is the richest person in America. Coincidence? I think not. <laughs> and the best thing to do with your clothes and your ordering process is test it yourself. Then find a typical customer, get them to test it, and watch them test it. and. Don't help them. Just answer any questions or see where they get stuck. And then the third thing, find someone who doesn't understand English very well and find out where they stumble. Keep fixing it so even they understand. I'm going to add one thing to that. Let them know what to do, how to do it, and make it easy for them to do. I think also it's important to let them know what happens next. 
after they do it, what can they expect? Otherwise, we're asking them to walk into a dark room. I like to light that room up. So click buy now and we'll deliver it to your office within 36 hours or click buy now and you'll be immediately escorted to the members only area of the website. Let them know what happens next. That way you overcome that, that, uh, that uneasy feeling of not knowing what to expect. I, I think that's a great point. So again, the book we're talking about is the Robert Collier letter book. Uh, we put a link to buy it from Robert Collier's family. They um, revived a lot of his out-of-print works online. And um, I think that's about it, unless you got anything else. Nope. Uh, I just want to say thank you again for putting these episodes together. These old masters series of episodes have been some of my favorite episodes of the podcast. We're nearing 170 episodes now, 160 episodes. And the last few months have been some of my favorite episodes that we've ever done. So just keeping the heat alive, I really appreciate you putting so much work into these episodes, David. You're welcome. And yeah, it is a lot of work, but it's worth it. And I, I hope everyone likes them as much as you do. And I do. So awesome. Great. And until next time, if you want to get more, if you want to check out the, the rest of this series, head on over to copywriterspodcast.com and we will catch you next time. See you next time. Before we go, a quick question. Would you like to have me as a guest on your podcast? Let me give you an easy way to contact me about that. We've put up a form on garfinkelmedia.com, and it won't take much more than a minute to fill it out. So if you'd like to have me on your show, just go to garfinkelmedia.com and fill out the form. That's garfinkelmedia.com. Thanks, and see you next time on the Copywriters Podcast. This is the Copy and Funnels Podcast Network.